All right. Hey, so I invite you, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to jump right into uh, the sermon here. We're going to read from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and verse 32 and 34, and then jump back to Judges 4. And then we'll have a couple more songs, two more songs, and then uh, everyone who is uh, getting baptized, I believe there's eight this morning, we'll, we'll get ready to do so. Hebrews 11, starting at verse 1, it says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then drop the 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put, on, put whole armies to flight. And then if you're following along, we'll jump back to Judges 4 in the Old Testament. And we'll just read the first few verses here of the story of Barak. Judges 4, verse 1 says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazar, a Canaanite king, the commander of his army with Sesera, who lived in Horthshah Hagomoi. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, the wife of Lepidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under a palm of Deborah between Ram and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinon, who lived in Kedesh in the land of Natali, she said to him, this is what the Lord has, the Lord of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Napoli and Zeblin at Mount Tabar, and I will call out Sesera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this virtue. For venture, and the Lord's victory over Sisera will be in the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Brock to Kiddush. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit that illuminates the scripture for our understanding. Thank you that we are freely able to uh, read, Lord. And we just thank you again. Thank you for this beautiful time outside. Thank you again for Roger and Rip. And we continue to pray for their lives, Lord. We just thank you. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. Whatever you want me to say, I say. Whatever you don't, I don't. And we'll be careful to give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may have a seat. So we've been in the series in Hebrews 11. If you have not been with us for the last 15 weeks, actually, um, we are in a series called The Good, Bad, and Ugly, or perhaps the heading in your Bible calls it some form of the Hall of Faith, the Heroes of Faith, the Men and Women of Faith, or whatever variation by translation. 
And again, I thought I would call the series The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And if you've been with us for any portion of the series, you know that we've taken a look at each person in Hebrews 11 and slowly just looked at their life. Someone like Abraham, we took two weeks. Gideon, two weeks. Barak, he's only mentioned a couple of times. But yet, my hope, my goal as I was praying in preparation for this series coming out of Psalm 23 was that we would take a look at what the author of Hebrews calls a man or woman of faith and look at the fact that faith is a journey and faith can be very ugly in our end. It can be good, it can be bad, but yet God is always constant and he's always good. And for each character that we looked at, I just wrote down a phrase or a word that I thought best described in a nutshell why each person was called faithful and i do that every couple of weeks just to remind us of who we've covered so again we started off with abel and for abel i wrote faith brings to god then enoch faith walks with god noah faith fears god abraham faith obeys god sarah Faith receives from God. And Isaac, faith submits to God. Dot, 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 eventually. Jacob, faith worships God. For Joseph, faith hopes in God. For Joshua, faith is courageous in God. And last, or the last two that we've covered was Rahab. Rahab, Faith responds to God. And last week, the last two weeks, Gideon, faith presents uncertainty to God. And then this morning, as we take a look at Barak, faith corrects course in God. So we just read just a small portion of the story of Barak and Judges and the story. And if we're honest with the story, when we read it, we may say to ourselves, at least I did, well, it looks like Deborah should be in the Hall of Faith and not Brock. And to be honest, even further, if Brock was not mentioned in Hebrews 11, I would quickly just disregard him. Perhaps we'd call him a little weak, a little soft. We most definitely, at least I wouldn't have called him a hero of faith. But then if I was honest, as I was, would continue to read, I would probably see a lot of Brock in myself see the section of scripture is what people have used to explain why women should be pastors and changing up the roles of men and women and I don't want to spend too much time in that because this story is actually a story of faith God's faithfulness but just just uh, just quickly uh, I believe it's less of roles of men and women and yes women are wonderful leaders no According to Paul, they shouldn't be pastors, but that's not the story. Deborah was a judge, a prophetess, and I routinely have regular conversations with other couples or other people who may not necessarily have the Christian values, and my response just to that is, Natalie, my wife and I are not equals, but we are partners, and regardless of what the world says, and again, we'll talk about that in Ephesians. We're going to do Ephesians in a couple of months. We'll cover that. But this story is less on the roles of men and women. Obviously, Deborah did a great job of encouragement. This story is a story 
of why Hebrews 11 would consider Barak a man who is faithful. And if I was going to give this sermon a subtitle, I would call it Imperfect Faith in the Hands of a Perfect God, to be completely honest with you. And I believe it was John Stott. John Stott is one of my favorite theologians of this century. I guess he died last century. But, uh, and what I really appreciate is how he continually points to God being a perfect God and being an imperfect people. He has wonderful stories and great insight, a wonderful, brilliant theologian. And perhaps one of my favorite lines that he's ever said that I read was, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And then he would go on to say, and I am the most crooked stick he has ever used. It's not about our faith being perfect. You know, I wake up in the morning personally, and I hope to do a good job but inside of me. Sometimes I go back and forth, and, and there are things in me that I don't like. And I'm sure if you're honest, there are things in you that you do not like. And as we consider Barak, what we're going to look at is a man who had to be reminded of who he was called to be. But let me just give us a little bit background here. Although we covered Gideon for the last two weeks, this actually takes place before Gideon, and it actually leads off with Ehud. And if you don't know the story of Ehud, turn back a chapter. It's a wonderful story. He's a left-handed assassin who kills a pagan king while he was on the toilet. I mean, if you don't like the Bible, just read that story. But maybe you're not a junior high mentality like me. But what we see in Judges is that there's a cycle. It's called the judge cycle, the Israelite judging cycle, depending on what you read from. And the cycle looks like this, and see if you recognize it. Things are going well. Things are going a little too well. You start to feel pretty good. Then the Israelites sin. Specifically, they sin by trying to worship other false gods. God allows them to be uh, to follow in their sin, then he allows another nation, a pagan nation, to come and take them captive. They're captive for a certain amount of time, depending on how long they're tired of being taken captive. Then they cry out to the Lord, and then God sends someone to save them, a judge. And then they start doing well, and then they sin. You see that cycle? They start doing well, they get sold into slavery. They apologize, they reach out to God, they cry out to God, then God sends someone, and it's a cycle. Ehud, this left-handed assassin, he had peace when he reigned for 80 years, the longest amount of time that a judge had peace in a nation. And 80 years sounds like a long time, but when you think about nation, this nation is now a few hundred years old, it's not that long. Then if you turn back and you look right after Ehud dies, there's a, another cool story of a judge. He's only mentioned once. Shamgar, he kills 600 Philistines with an, oaks god and oak, an ox god, and he fights them off, and that's the end of his story. And then we pick up the story from where we, left off, where we read this morning. There's a couple of main characters here that we'll just cover quickly, but... But just consider what is taking place, and it, and it says it right there at the very beginning in verse 1. It says, after Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jaban of Hazar, a Canaanite king. See, the Israelites still have not finished Canaanites. They have had opportunity after opportunity all throughout Joshua to finally defeat the Canaanites. 
but they just, for whatever reason, just let them go. They show them pity. They don't follow through all the way. They don't deal with their sin. And if there's a sermon within a sermon, if there's sin in your life, no matter how small or insignificant it is, you can't just ignore it long enough and it won't go away. It grows and it comes back to get you. And that's the very that's the situation, the very situation that the Israelites are in. This Jaban, this this uh, Canaanite king is a commander. His commander is Sisera. He's the general. He would be the equal part to Barak. They're the commanding generals. And in verse three, you can read there's 900 iron chariots who ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. See that 80 years they are doing fine. Then for the last 20 years, they've been in captivity. And when you read the 900 iron chariots, read it as it, they have the most sophisticated technological warfare available at that time. The Israelites don't even have swords. They have spears, basically. Clubs and rocks against the suppressor. And then what we see is finally, after 20 years, they cry out. The people of Israel cry out to the Lord for help, and he's very gracious. And then we're introduced to Deborah, the wife of Lepdoda. And that is significant to be called in line with her husband, showing that she is indeed a prophet. Now, I don't know about you. When you think of prophet, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Someone who predicts the future, someone who calls about what's going to come specifically the end times, maybe, perhaps. But a prophet does do that, but the majority of the time, a prophet is anyone who proclaims God's word or truth. Technically, right now, we are being prophets. We are hearing God's word. And what she would do is she was a judge who actually judged between things, and there's, and then she even sits underneath a palm tree called Deborah, and she makes all these judgments. And then one day, verse 6, it says, One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinim, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said to him, This is what the Lord says. More specifically, if you look at the Hebrew, it's a past tense. And it says, Has not the Lord told you to command? And it's important because what she's doing for Barak is she's saying, You are the general. And I know that the Lord has called you to do something. So it's not a call for the first time. This is more of a reminder to do something. So and then as you read, um, she she says, you are the God has not God called you to go out and you called the warriors and I will call out Sesera, the other commander and Jabin's army, along with the chariots and warriors there. I will give you victory over them. And what is Barak's? Reply, this great man, he says, I will go only if you go with me. Or the ESV translation, if you go, I will go. If you do not, I will not. And this is the man who's considered in the hall of faith. So I just, just as we consider what it takes to be faithful, let's just consider here what exactly took place. First of all, I just just to mention, when it says that God sold him into slavery, that word in Hebrew actually means is the same word that we use for addiction. So God sold them into their addiction and addiction in the in the worst form is slavery, being addicted to anything. Perhaps whenever I said the word of addiction, you went straight to drugs or alcohol or some other thing. But it could be an addiction, anything that takes captive over you. And that's why it's called slavery. So God allowed them to go into slavery. 
And as we consider this, that that faith, our faith journey is, a f- we are flawed people in our faith journey, yet God still is able to use them. And then this shows, again, that line from Stott, that God can use cricket sticks to draw straight lines, and that could work. So when Deborah challenges him, she's essentially reminding him of what he had been called to do. To confirm something that the Lord had already spoken to Barak. Do you have anyone in your life who reminds you of what you've been called to do? Not beat you over the head. Nothing like, hey, do you remember that you said you were going to cut the grass two weeks ago? Nothing like that. Not a... Not an argument, not when you have to remind your kids repeatedly to make their bed or whatever it is. This is a reminder, way more important than that. This is a reminder to be called, that you're calling in God to respond to. And at first glance, his, his response is, if you will go with me, then I will go. It doesn't seem unwise to me, at least, of Barak to ask Deborah to come with him. Yet the fact that he demanded it showed that he trusts more in Deborah's relationship with God than his own relationship with God himself. See, I don't believe that the situation is where Barak was scared or he lacked courage. He was afraid to take on another nation. He was a general of the army after all, and that takes some courage. But I think this was less about leading the army as much as he saw someone walking with the Lord. And compared to his life, he wanted reassurance with someone who was walking with the Lord. That's why, for those of you who are believers in Christ, don't you go to people who walk in faith? Don't you go to them and ask them for prayer? Don't you ask them to walk alongside with you? Yes, that's what we're called to do. But sometimes I know the people that I call up and ask for prayer are the people that I know that when I say, will you pray for me, they will. And of course, in a perfect situation, I don't want to diminish this. God called. Ideally, what we would have read in this story is God called Barak to go stand up against the army. He said, yes, sir, and went out and defeated the army. But the reality is, is whatever was holding him back was preventing him from taking the next step of obedient faith. That's the first thing that that I was reminded about is the importance of being reminded to our calling as followers of Christ. Deborah reminds him of this calling, and again in this past tense. I think back in my life how how many times I needed to be reminded of my calling, and then even looking through the Bible, think of Paul. He needed to be reminded of his calling. After he was saved by God, and then he tried to join the cool group with the other apostles, and they rejected him, and Barnabas had to encourage him and bring him back and vouch for him. Or perhaps Timothy who continually felt he was too young, too timid, and just overall didn't want to do it. But yet, God sent a Paul. But perhaps today you're here today to be reminded of what you're called to do. Perhaps you were invited because a baby is being dedicated. You're here to watch someone get baptized. Perhaps you don't like to be indoors at church and you prefer outdoors Perhaps you showed up to the church and saw the sign that said we're here and you thought, oh, I better come. Perhaps it's not a courage that you're lacking. Maybe it's a resentment. Maybe you feel distant from God. 
maybe you've had a calling in your life to walk with him and you haven't because he hasn't done something that you thought he should do. Maybe you're just plain old lost. Maybe you just feel distant and lost. As I was getting ready for the sermon this week, I came across a Peanuts cartoon, you know, with Lucy and Charlie Brown. And to be completely honest, uh, when I met my wife and she spent half of her life in Santa Rosa, which is like the pinnacle of Charlie Brown. And I told her that I didn't really care for Charlie Brown. And she looked at with me, looked at me with such disgust. No, I'm just kidding. But with such shock. And, and the reason why I said I didn't like it is, is Charlie Brown going to kick that football again and just have Lucy move it again? That frustrates me. Like, learn your lesson. If you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube it. But but this week, as I was as I was looking through it and I was just looking for why do people feel lost? I don't I could tell you a long story of how I got here, but I ended here in one of the cartoon strips, Charlie Brown and Lucy really pointed out what I think, at least for myself, that encourages to embrace the notion that when we walk in the Lord, it is a relationship. But anyways, it, you may have seen this before that Lucy has this setup and she's a psychiatrist and you pay five cents. So Charlie Brown pays her five cents. And in her great wisdom, she says, life is like a deck chair, a deck chair, Charlie Brown. On the cruise ship of life, some people place their deck chair at the rear of the ship so they can see where they've been. Others place their deck chair at the front of the ship so they can see where they're going. The good Dr. Lucy answers this and looks squarely at Charlie Brown and she says, Well, Charlie Brown, which way is your deck chair facing? And without hesitation, Charlie Brown replied, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. Isn't that the way life and our walk with Christ often feels? You hear people saying that they've been called by God. You re we're reading the story of Brock and you think, well, that's great. Brock needed to be reminded of his calling, but I don't even know what I'm called to do. I can't even get my deck chair open some of you may be even sitting here and thinking you forgot your chair but but here's the point to to all this is is god is bringing people constantly in our life to speak truth he speaks truth to us through his spirit and through his word and sometimes when we hear something and we don't like it we assume that that's not right i know in our life group the young adult life group here's a shameless plug life group if you're a young adult tonight at church at six there you go you're invited we one of the things we were discussing and discussing even afterwards with Gideon was he put out a fleece and did he really believe in God and there's a lot of doubts and then if you've grown up to in a Christian home a little bit you kind of feel like doubt is taboo that you're not allowed to admit that you have doubt or questions and yet the reality is, is I don't know a single person who has walked with the Lord and can honestly say that they've never had doubt. It may came, come in different forms where I've never had doubt in God, but I've doubted myself or I've doubted the situation. And yet here we see with Brock, what he is doubting is, 
which would appear he just doesn't want to go without the comfort of someone who's walking with the Lord. Again, he says, if you go, I will go. If you do not go, I will not go. At all. 100%. Honest statement. You've got to go with me. And what we see here in verse 9 is Deborah doesn't say, oh, you boy, I'll do it. See, Deborah is the only judge, if you read all through Judges, she's the only judge who actually never goes into battle and fight. She's the judge that gives encouragement and wise counsel. But she doesn't say, silly boy, I will do it. I'll find somebody else. She says in verse 9, very well, she replied. I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera, the bad guy, will be in the hands of a woman. And if we stop there, which we did, we assume that the victory will be in Deborah's hand. And it's actually not her hand. It is a, another character that we'll touch on in a moment. But you see that moment? She didn't make fun of him. She said, very well, I will come with you. And yes, if there is a delay response in what you are being called, there can be consequences. But mostly the consequences will deal with your pride. The consequences will shape the, the direction that you are walking with the Lord. And as we, as we see this, we see now, the pick up the story, we didn't read it, but if you're still following along in Judges 4 there, verse 14, it says, Then Deborah said to Barak, Get ready, this is the day that the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. Again, she doesn't take victory. She doesn't say the victory is hers. The Lord will give you the victory. So Barak led the 10,000 warriors down the slope of Mount Tabar in battle. When Barak attacked the Lord through Sisera and all of his chariot warriors in a panic, Sisera leapt down from the chariot and escaped on foot. Verse 15, actually, uh, perhaps a better translation is it says the Lord routed Sisera. And that word routed usually is associated with thunderstorms, hell, or arrows is the better translation. So I don't know if God has thrown rocks at him or shooting arrows at him. I just like nerdy stuff like that. But he dis he dispatches them. He handles them all except Sisera. And Sisera here now, as it says, he runs away. He leaps down the chariot and escapes on foot. Verse 16, then Brock chases the chariot and the enemy army all the way to Horshua and killing all Sisera warriors. Not a single one was left. Verse 17, meanwhile, Sisera runs to the tent of Jel and the wife of Herbert the Kenite before Herbert's family was in a friendly terms with King Jabin of Hezra. Just just quick note, this is relationship with Moses' father-in-law. They were playing both sides of the fence, both a little bit with the Israelites, both um, with Jabin. They just wanted to see, be on good gracious. So he runs in to a tent and then we're introduced to a woman named Jael. Verse 18, when she meets him in front of the tent, she says, come into my tent, sir, come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. He covered him with a blanket. Give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent. He told her if anyone comes and ask if there is anyone in here, say no. But when Cesara fell asleep from exhaustion, and this is where it gets graphic, Jael quietly crept up with a hammer and tent peg and in her hand and she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground and he died and at that very moment verse 22 we read that Brock comes looking for Sisera he goes in and he sees and then at that moment he realized 
the victory was in the hands of Jael. And that was what he lost. He lost the victory of defeating. See, in the Old Testament times, just quickly in the Old Testament times, it was so important for the commander to defeat the other commander or the commander to give in to the other commander. That was how you were ranked based on popularity. And we don't hear any more of what took place in Brock's life. Yet again, he's in Hebrews 11. But when we read the Bible and when we come to characters of the story in the Bible, what we will see is that God is always constant and he's always calling us onto himself. And yet there's variations of what that will look like in our walk. But a couple of notes here before we finish. See, our Christian walk is not about being perfect. It is about our intimacy with Christ. A Christian walk is not about perfection. It's about connection. Our Christian walk, again, is not about being perfect before the Lord. It's bringing our brokenness to Him. Accepting the reality of our brokenness, our flawed lives, is really the beginning of our spirituality, our Christian walk. So as Christians walk, our goal tends to be always looking at the finish line instead of the step in front of us. But it's even more about that. It's about God being present in the mess and the unfinished parts of our lives. And just like Barak, who would not go into battle until Deborah said she would go with him, shows up to the scene, and as he sees this awful mess, this commander that he had been battling dead at his feet, At that moment, I can only think that finally the realization for him was God is honest and God is true. And he will fulfill what he desires regardless of my walk. So to finish out the service here in a little bit, we're going to have baptisms. And I love baptisms for so many reasons. But one of the reasons is the public expression of what Christ has already done in the heart. It's an outward expression of what's taken place of God dealing with our hearts. And everyone who will get into the water today and everyone who has been baptized before, when you enter into the water, you are not entering the water to be because you are perfect. Technically, the representation of walking into the water is you are walking in death. Then you are buried with Christ. Then you are made anew. But each person this afternoon who walks into the water is not perfect. They're not getting baptized because they're perfect. Far from it. They're getting into the water because they know that Christ lived the perfect life. And even when all of those who are going to come out of the water and those of you who have been baptized when you come out of the water, you do not become perfect. The water is actually cold and gross. You, you are acknowledging how broken you are. It changes your life for sure. But once you get baptized, you can interview anyone who's been baptized. They cannot honestly look you in the face and say, the moment I accepted Christ, the moment I got baptized, the moment I was dedicated as a baby, I lived a perfect life. Far from it. Coming out of the water... 
and walking you, we enter back into the world where we need to be fully tethered to the Lord. It's where we come in faithful step, as shaky as it may be, even if our road was a long, winding road and we're finally back at square one. And for those of you here this morning, again, if you are working through your relationship with Christ, just take the next faithful step. I know I say that often, but make your next step an obedient one. And for those of you who have been walking with the Lord, what do you do when you are confronted with the truth? The Word confronts us. The Spirit confronts us. Trusted friends reminds us of the truth. Because the reality is, and again, what John Stott so perfectly said, be a crooked stick, but remain in God's hands. Let's pray. God, as we quickly look at a story that is so fascinating, and we see that Brock was called, you called him to do something, and yet he was hesitant, and we don't know the reason why. We can only project usually based on our own experience of our hesitation in following you. But yet, Lord, you are so faithful to send someone to remind us of the truth, and perhaps this morning that reminder is the truth now, today, that you're calling us unto you. Lord, first you call us to repentance, to have a relationship with the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you call us to walk with you, Lord, and we know that it's a bumpy road. Lord, perhaps some of us are like in that Peanuts cartoon where we can't even get our chair open or we've been asking but we haven't heard from you. We pray that you speak. And Lord, even if you've already called us but we've been so <laughs> thick-headed not to listen, will you continue to Call us unto you, Lord. Send people our way to remind us of the truth. Let us have many Debras in our lives, Lord. Let us be Debras to other people. So, Lord, as you confront us and you deal with us, Lord, let us indeed be a crooked stick in your hands. Better to be a crooked stick in your hands than a, a false straight stick thrown in the bushes. So, Lord, I just pray for everybody here. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We're excited uh, for baptisms ahead, Lord, just a statement of belief to know that you are God and our Savior. So as we sing a couple more songs, just speak to us. Remind us of the truths you've already told us. In Jesus' name, amen.